Welcome to the special edition of The Exe. I'm Alex Sear, and today I'm exploring a question that many members of Canada's running community have entertained ever since it was revealed that former Guelph head coach Dave Scott Thomas groomed Megan Brown, one of his former athletes, for sex from the time she was 17. The question is, now that we know about the culture of silence that existed in Guelph, is it fair to consider the athletes who competed there to be complicit in their coach's tyranny? This podcast presents the point of view of two Guelph alumni and of an expert on the topic of athlete maltreatment. First, we talk with Robin Mildred, a Guelph alum and PhD candidate in neurophysiology at the University of British Columbia. Mildred was an athlete at the University of Guelph between 2009 and 2013, and just in the last year has run her best times in events ranging from the 10K to the marathon. Despite her numerous accolades, Mildred was most visible on social media recently for something entirely different. Two days after Michael Doyle and the Globe and Mail revealed the allegations around Scott Thomas, Mildred tried to come to terms with the news by posting on her Facebook wall. Her post read, I've been trying to stay away from the story publicly, mostly because I've spent so long trying to move on and believe in myself again as an athlete. But people are rightfully calling for more, more voices to shine light on these issues to try to make sense of this so that it never happens again. The University of Guelph's XC team won 12 consecutive national titles, and year after year, he, as in Scott Thomas, was awarded Coach of the Year. Moving forward, I think we need to find a way to recognize and celebrate positive and nurturing training environments above simple metrics of success, so that all athletes have the opportunity to have fun and empowering experiences in sport. Mildred's post triggered the conversation around whether athletes were complicit in fueling the toxic culture that Scott Thomas created. The conversation led to the firing of Queen's head coach Steve Boyd and much blaming of Guelph athletes on online forums for remaining silent under Scott Thomas. Here, she tells us why this assumption of complicity is not fair and that we must shift our focus to more important questions like how we can make our sports safer and better. After Mildred, we hear from Dr. Gretchen Kerr, a professor at University of Toronto who specializes in athlete maltreatment, coaching practices, and women in coaching. She tells us about the difficulties of being an athlete trapped in a toxic culture, the dangers of assuming complicity, and the future of safe sport in Canada. Finally, we hear from Jenny Bewald, another former Griffin athlete and coach who tells us what it was like for her to train under Scott Thomas and how it felt impossible for Griffin athletes to speak up and how they felt fooled and shocked. I think this was a productive conversation and one that has to be out there. So enough of me talking. Let's hear from Mildred, Dr. Kerr, and then Bewald. So I'm here with Robin Mildren. Uh, Robin, appreciate you being here with me today. I know you're working on your dissertation right now, so hopefully this is a good break from the writing. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Alex. So I guess I'll jump right into it and ask you first, um, what was your initial reaction when the Globe and Mail article came out about Dave Scott Thomas and Megan Brown on February 8th? So I think that article was really hard to digest for everybody. Um, and I think there's really something powerful about, about somebody's personal story. Um, and so right after I read it, I actually got a message from a friend and old teammate from Guelph that basically just said, uh, hugs. And I kind of feel like that summed up how we all felt. Um, like we didn't have any words. We just wanted to hug a friend on the team and just make sure everyone was getting through this okay. And um, you felt compelled to make a post about it, like many others, um, many other Guelph alumni after the fact. And uh, you said yourself, you're not someone who posts all that often on Facebook, but that was something that was pretty impactful. So you, you took to Facebook and uh, just by bad luck, uh, your post elicited a long conversation that could have happened pretty much anywhere, but turns out that it was on your wall. Um, Steve Boyd, the former coach at Queens, asked, um, whether the titles uh, the, the tw titles won by Guelph under Dave Scott Thomas should be vacated, uh, making the case that some athletes could be considered to be complicit by saying little um, under his regime. 
So that take led to a bit of an online war of words and nearly 100 comments and a discussion involving Boyd and notable Guelph alumni like Reed Coolsat, Trent Stellingworth, Jen Dowling Medley, uh, Jenny Dewall, just to name a few. The conversation uh, was it revolved around Guelph alumni and shifted to whether uh, they should be taking heat for the actions of their coach. So we talked for the first time a couple days ago and you thought that way of thinking was wrong and uh, you felt compelled to get on the podcast and defend Guelph alumni. So let me ask you, since that article came out, has there been an unfair assumption of complicity placed on athletes who trained under Dave Scott Thomas? So before I get to that, um, I just want to start by saying that um, I'm really sorry to all of the Queens athletes who ended up losing their coach through all of this. And so now I know what it's like to have a coach that really believes in you. So referring to my current coach, CJ, and yeah, it would really suck to lose that. So I understand some of the the anger here. Um, And I was actually um, really touched by some of the stories that I read from Steve Boyd's athletes, um, where some of them actually had terrible experiences running elsewhere and then came to train with Steve Boyd. um, And in some of their words, they felt like they were supported, healthy, and empowered. And so I really feel that. And so I think beyond some of the division that's occurred here, um, I think we have some common ground. And I think we all want to kind of promote those sorts of training environments. Um, Going back to the original post, so like a lot of athletes, I wanted to write something down. um, And I initially wasn't sure I would even post it. Um, but a lot of people did appreciate the message and I feel like this is confusing for a lot of us, but I feel like I was in a good position to offer some perspective because I think I've been part of both the worst and the best training environments. And I've also had some time to reflect on my experience at Guelph. Um, so the reason why I do feel like I was felt compelled to come on this podcast um, was because I think there is some misinformation out there and some blame maybe being directed toward the wrong places. Um, And so I feel like right now I need to take a risk to try and defend some of my friends and clear some of that up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in all of this, like the Guelph athletes and Guelph alumni are a lot stronger and better people than I think everyone's giving them credit for. So I just want to say a few things that I don't think people know. Um, And so actually, during my time at Guelph, there were multiple athletes that stood up to Dave for me when they felt like I was being treated unfairly. And so I feel like they took a personal risk in order to do that. And there was actually one athlete that stood up to Dave um, about one of his more egregious abuses of power when she found out. So I can't even imagine what that would have been like. And so a lot of other athletes have been really brave in sharing their stories and then also sticking up for each other. And we've all been trying to support each other. Um, So I feel like um, it's my turn to kind of try and stick up for all of us. And in addition to that, I first met Reed Coolset when I was a rookie at Guelph and kind of struggling as an athlete, to be honest. And I feel like he's been nothing but kind and supportive toward me throughout my running career. Um, And Trent has also been really supportive of other athletes as they've been going through everything that's happened lately, despite him going through a hard time himself. So um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that. So I feel like um, Guelph athletes and Guelph alumni have taken personal risk to try and stand up for what they think is right. Um, And so I think it's really false and kind of hurtful to imply that any athletes were complicit in any of our coaches' behavior. And for the general Guelph athlete, what was it like to train under Dave? Was there any perception that athletes were in control of what was happening? So that's 
something that's really tricky for me to describe. Um, I feel like um, from my perspective, it, it seemed like coaches do have a lot of power and um, athletes don't really have a lot of room to speak up. Um, as someone who was actually cut from the team at one point, um, I felt like I was in no position to say anything. Um, and I really don't believe that the right mechanisms were in place to make sure that it was um, a healthy training environment and to give us ways to submit complaints and, and be confident that they would be properly looked into. So when we talked yesterday, you mentioned that how difficult it was for athletes. Like Dave could turn around and be an entirely different person to an entirely different people. Uh, you mentioned that as an athlete, like you still wanted him to like you and to, to kind of take you in on the team. So was there kind of an element of that as well, of, of feeling like you had to comply to some sort of culture? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really t tricky scenario to describe. I mean, looking back on it, through all of that, I feel like I was treated like garbage or like an object. And throughout all that, I still felt like it was my fault, you know, and I wanted him to like me and I still wanted to prove myself and, and prove my worth and just run myself into the ground to try and to try and do that. And it makes no sense. Like why after even being cut by the team unfairly, I would work my ass off just to try and get get myself back there <laughs> in this situation. It, it doesn't make any sense. So mm -hmm. and Longtime running coach uh, from Kingston, Steve Boyd, uh, has perhaps been the loudest voice online asking questions about Guelph's uh, alumni's complicity. And we we talked in length, uh, Steve and I, and um, to talk about this, or, or to, I guess to discuss this in more detail, I'd encourage to anyone to listen to the podcast if they want a more nuanced understanding of his take. Um, but there's a misconception that many athlete, uh, many Guelph alum tried to oust Boyd and uh, you're saying that's not true, or we don't know that that's true. Do you think that that merits a firing? Comments on a Facebook post, or what would be the proper handling of the situation? So I don't think I can really offer any insight into his firing. Um, I really don't understand how all of this unfolded, and um, I can't offer any insight into the Queen's admin. Um, all I can really say is it was definitely not something that was orchestrated by the Guelph alumni. Um, even though some of his comments did sting for us, um, I think a lot of us were really surprised and confused at just about every turn that story with Steve Boyd took. Um, personally, I didn't submit complaints, so I really don't know what people, what people's thought process was but I really got the sense from from a lot of people that they were concerned about some of the things he said and they just wanted him to really understand a little bit more about the situation um, and maybe have him stop. I don't think anyone was out to get him fired. Um, as far as being outspoken online, um, I'm not against that and I feel like everyone kind of has a different approach in their way of trying to move things forward and I really want to say that I think journalism and social media have been really instrumental in exposing some of the very serious issues in our sport where I think that some of the typical avenues have failed people so just because I personally don't really engage in discussions online on forums or Facebook um, I do prefer to actually like sit back and you know my approach is more to in research work on a document over years that eventually will be published and maybe only a few people in the entire world will read it and understand it so maybe we could try and meet somewhere in the middle here so social media didn't work out for me um and i've tried to 
you know, inform myself a little bit more about issues regarding safe sport um, and hoping that we can try and make some changes. I do want to get into that because we discussed this yesterday a little bit and you have some pretty good ideas of how we should proceed. But before you mentioned that you think some avenues are, are failing people in their sport. What kind of avenues would you mean? So I think there's breakdowns um, in a lot of areas, like both at the varsity level um, and also potentially at the club and national team level as well. Um, so from what I saw I, I and what I still hear is I don't think athletes are really aware of um, what types of maltreatment there are and um, the difference between like a very competitive environment and an unhealthy environment and I think a lot of the time we've normalized some serious issues and that's created these unhealthy environments um, and so I think we kind of need to change the way we talk about things so that people aren't saying well like who cares about your experience that happened to so-and-so in the NCAA as well um, I think like we're at a really good point here that maybe in Canada at the varsity level and the club level, we can try and take a different path um, so that we're, we're kind of changing the message um, from win at all costs to yeah, more promoting long-term health and development of athletes. So it's kind of, and, that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So kind of going back to what you said sorry I went off on a bit of a tangent like I think I see breakdowns basically like at multiple levels so like athlete and coach and IST sort of awareness of issues and then also on the the reporting and following up on complaints side um, which is something that was really exposed in the Globe and Mail article um, and I think there's still a lot of work to do there because uh, there there is a, a conflict of interest for these organizations to be looking into these issues because, um, you know, it's in their self-interest, in, in their best interest to take care of, it in a, care of it in a way that, you know, keeps their image. Where do we want to focus the conversation right now? What's more important? What's most important for us right now? So, yeah, research takes a long time, but a lot of it has already been done, and there's already, like, quite a strong push um, towards people, towards the federal government creating an entirely independent organization to try to address um, gender-based violence and maltreatment of athletes across sports. So I think that's something that, we should be talking about more um, and then I also think so that would be more of like a top-down approach to changing things and then also at the university level um, I think we still need to push for some changes and then also um, kind of more from the bottom up like more Steve Boyd's approach I think it is important to start talking about these things and having conversations getting away from that win at all costs mentality and I've actually um, chatted a bit with um, the CEO of our track club which is the Vancouver Thunderbirds and we're looking at and starting to talk about what kind of changes we could do within our club um, to try and make sure that these types of things don't happen again I think that for a lot of for a lot of people I talked to, one of the lines in the Globe and Mail article that hit a lot of people really hard was the one statement around um, some of the alumni saying, if we have girls, we don't want them to be in running. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big problem because we know sports are so important for developing self-confidence and for improving physical and mental health. And girls drop out of sports at far higher rate than boys so I do think we need to try and make sure we do everything possible to make sure that everyone feels like they are included and they're safe and they're supported and their health is a priority Robin again thank you so much for uh, coming on to this podcast I uh, really appreciate your time and um, 
we do wish the best for yourself and for the Griffin alumni in the future moving forward from this hopefully to something better and to better news. Okay, thanks for having me, Alex. Big thanks to Robin for the chat. Next, we hear from Dr. Gretchen Kerr. I'm happy she came on. Her opinion on these matters is shaped by years of research and hopefully it can break through the online noise that this sequence of events has caused. Here, Kerr offers really good insight about the plight of athletes in toxic cultures. She talks about recent movements that are aimed at making sport in Canada better and also offers advice to current coaches about how to build a positive culture. So here's our conversation. Dr. Kerr, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So what was your reaction to the Globe and Mail article that came out a month ago, revealing both the win-at-all-cost culture at Guelph and um, the relationship between Dave Scott Thomas and Megan Brown? Yes, well, uh, like everyone else, I'm sure, was was extremely disturbed. Um, really felt for for Megan and her experiences, and and wish her all the best with her what will inevitably be a long recovery process. The other part of my reaction was, oh no, not again, because of course we've had a long string of similar and disturbing stories of of athlete maltreatment in this this country. So this is a recurring thing. Um, In your experience, what permits a culture like the one at Guelph to thrive for so long, despite so many injuries and and horror stories along the way? Yes, it's it's a good question, and it's it's central to kind of understanding uh, the other similar cases that that have emerged around athlete maltreatment um you know it's really important uh to understand the role of power in in all of this um in the world of of sport uh tremendous authority is given to uh, coaches with very little in the way of accountability measures uh, sport is largely funded based upon performance outcomes and coaches are hired and fired on the basis of how well the athletes or the team does and and the a result of that is this kind of tendency to win at all costs approach and a lack of attention to the means by which performance outcomes are achieved. So that leaves athletes extremely vulnerable to um, to unhealthy practices and experiences of maltreatment. The other aspect that, that contributes to this picture is that athletes don't have a safe place to go with their concerns. Uh, they can't go to their athletic department typically or their sport organization uh, because there are always inherent conflicts of interest between those two bodies and the the perpetrator in in question so athletes are left in a, a powerless relatively powerless position so you mentioned this i guess that idea of, of vulnerability so is it fair to assume that athletes who competed i guess in this case for the griffins had much control over this culture of silence or when it all cost or did they have any control at all and by extension is it fair to call them complicit in that so i'm aware of of the the discussions and accusations that the other athletes and alumni uh, were complicit and should have done anything about it. I think those criticisms are tremendously unfair. Though the other athletes were in the same position of vulnerability um, in terms of uh, relationships with the coach, the sport administrator, and the athletic department. 
in a, a, a recent um, prevalence, national prevalence study we conducted of Canadian national team members, and a thousand participated in this study, um, less than 10% ever report their concerns to anyone for, for various reasons. One is that they don't have a place to go, and two, they won't report to their sport organization or athletic department because of the conflicts of interest and because they're afraid of the consequences for their own careers, for their position on the team, for the team culture. Um, they're, they're afraid of reprisals. Um, so the other athletes, the other teammates of Megan's cannot be complicit in, in this system. They were equally as vulnerable. Now, if we're going to talk about complicity, I think the focus should be on the other adults in that environment who are entrusted with the care of young people. They are in positions of authority uh, over the, the athletes. Um, they have a responsibility for the safety of those athletes. And, and I'm, I, if anyone is complicit, it would be the other adults in the positions of trust and authority. And what's the danger of assuming complicity on Facebook and running forums and places like that online? Well, understanding that, that the, the other teammates and alumni of that, that sports system were also in positions of lesser power, um, assigning them blame uh, or assuming complicity is a little bit like victim blaming. Um, because they they were compromised in terms of their uh, ability to do anything about about the um, the system itself. Um, they were rather powerless to to change the system. Um, so I, I really think that uh, pointing the finger at other athletes is amounts essentially to victim blaming. And we just had a brief conversation before starting to record, and you mentioned that um, there is some hope for the future. There is some advocacy going on uh, for Sport Canada and the federal minister to create some sort of mechanism to deal with safe sport in Canada. Can you tell me a bit about this movement? Yes. So with the information that um, athletes will not come forward with their concerns, for the reasons I've mentioned. Um, there is a movement af afoot to uh, create a, a national independent body to address safe sport issues. And by independence, we mean completely independent of athletic departments or sport organizations. Um, this would provide a, a neutral, confidential third-party uh, body to which athletes or anyone else could bring their concerns, have it dealt with by independent investigators and adjudicators, um, and, and to provide the athletes with the confidence that their concerns will be addressed uh, appropriately. This was a recommendation that came out of a national sports summit in 2019, where athletes can, which is a, a body that represents current and former national team members, uh, clearly recommended that this was the next step in order to provide uh, safety for, for athletes. And one of your areas is uh, areas of study is women in coaching. One thing that's being discussed often lately, just on online forums, Facebook, and very open discussions, um, especially since this story came out, is that there are not enough female coaches in Canada, in running specifically. 
What are some consequences of having a male-dominated coaching brass? Well, um, I I would raise the the case, and I, I think I can do this publicly because um, uh, this former athlete, Alison Forsythe, speaks openly about this. She was one of the victims of Bertrand Charest and alpine skiing, and she talks about the the first time she ever told anyone was about the abuse she was suffering was when they included a female athletic therapist on the on the the, um, the competitive circuit, and uh, you know she advocates as do others strongly for more female representation on teams. Um, it's, it's of course important to have women in coaching for all kinds of reasons. Um, at the same time, we want to be careful that this is just one uh, potential solution in a, in a multi-layered, multi-pronged approach to providing safe sport. Um, we know that uh, psychological abuse is the most frequently experienced form of maltreatment by athletes and that the psychological abuse can come from female coaches. So it's, it's no guarantee of, of a, a safe environment. I think the, um, the focus on having female coaches in the ranks has been in response to the high-profile sexual abuse cases, which is important. Uh, but it's also important to remember that it's the psychological abuse that's the most frequently experienced. So are you saying that there's a need to perhaps teach coaches, regardless of the gender of the coach, important strategies for coaching both women and men? Is that not done enough? I, I think that's a, a key element moving forward is to change the narrative that um, athletes have to be, um, y you know, yelled at, screamed at, um, punished, uh, degraded in order to make them mentally tough and, and winning athletes. We have to change that narrative. Uh, we've got to focus on how to create healthy, well-rounded athletes who will then perform optimally. And this is sort of the crazy part of sport because, you know, who, who of us performs best when we're under harsh conditions? You know, all of us in our jobs, in our relationships, and so on, perform best when we feel good about ourselves and when we feel supported. And out of that comes optimal performance. So I'm hoping that there will be a culture shift in sport and we can change the narrative to say, you know, the striving for medals and, and winning performances is fine, but the means to get there is to treat athletes well and ensure that they're healthy. So for current coaches who are listening, and I think you've given some pretty good nuggets of information already, but what are some steps that they can take to assure that they are providing a positive space for their athletes? Well, I think it, it a lot of it depends upon um, uh, an understanding of what we know about how people learn best and what motivates people best. Um, and of course, there's a large body of, of literature and research on this. The, the education sector is based on these kind of um, learner-centered uh, approaches. And, um, you know, some of the strategies used in sport are just simply old school. Uh, and they're perpetuated in the media. You know, all we need to do is think of the most popular sport films out there and you see these coaches who are all male by the way and they're yelling and screaming and punch, uh, punishing their athletes and so on well that that doesn't represent 
um, the way young people are treated in other sectors of society. You know, if I, as a professor, treated my st the students in my class that way, I would, you know, quickly be <laughs> be uh, punished, if not lose my job. Um, so teachers can't behave that way. Even parents can't behave that way. And yet we not only allow coaches to behave that way, but if they perform well, we reward them. And, and that's the piece that's got to change. Dr. Gretchen Kerr, uh, thanks for leading the way in this important issue. And uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to come onto this podcast. Well, thank you for addressing such attention on, on this important issue. Big thanks to Dr. Kerr for offering her insight. Next, we hear from Jenny Bewald. She tells us about how it was difficult to know that things were wrong as an athlete at Guelph by elaborating on her own experience. I think this part of the podcast was valuable because it shows how hard it was for a young adult to make a judgment about that environment. Here is our conversation. Okay, I'm here with Jenny Bewald. How are you doing? Hi, Alex. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I didn't realize that you lived so close to me in Toronto. Yeah, it's just down the street. Look mm. at that. Good. Well, let's just get right into it. Uh, you were a Guelph athlete between 2009 and 2012. Yes. An athlete, and then you were on the coaching staff between 2016 and 2018. Yes. And you're here. Uh, you said you decided to speak out against Dave Scott Thomas on various forums. Around the time that the article was published, um, you were on the record in the Globe and Mail article, and you posted on Tracking Facebook. So let's... Um, let's start from the beginning, and sure. I'll ask you why Why was it important for you to speak out? Oh, sure. That's such a great question. Thanks so much for asking. Um, so, you know, I got this uh, email um, from the Globe and Mail reporter, Michael Doyle, um, and it was just kind of, um, to me, it was presented as just like a general um, inquiry on Dave Scott Thomas and maybe like the culture under him. And um, when I spoke to him on the phone, I was kind of led to believe that there was gonna be somebody speaking on the record about something he had done. Um, and he had mentioned that there wasn't a lot of people going on the record. And so, you know, my first thought was, well, if there's somebody with an important story, I would not want her to be the only person on the record. So I'm just gonna speak and put my name out there too, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, you felt compelled to speak because you had something to say. Could you tell me a bit about your your personal experience at Guelph? Sure. So um, I came to Guelph in 2009, and by then I was already, um, you know, I was already pretty beaten down from the sport um, to begin with. Um, so I was one of those kind of flash-in-the-pan child stars in high school who, um, you know, I was uh, super fast and then kind of, uh, you know, went to the big school at the University of Michigan you know, kind of dealt with a lot of injuries and illnesses. And, um, you know, I, I came to Guelph really wanting to reinvest myself in the sport and Dave welcomed me with open, open arms. And I will say that at the beginning, um, we ha he was extremely nurturing and um, was very patient with me and really did build me up and um, to be, uh, you know, he did bring me back to my old high school times. And, um, you know, I, I was very grateful to that and, um, uh, it was only um, after I started uh, struggling a little bit more with my eating disorder that I came to see a little bit more of the ugly side of things. Mm -hmm. And what was it that made you see that the culture perhaps wasn't right? Um, you know, it's a complicated question because um, I've like... I came from the Ottawa Lions, which was already like a very um, cutthroat and uh, intense culture where, you know, high school kids, myself included, were explicitly told to lose weight. We were constantly compa compared to each other. Um, I was accused um, after, you know, making World Juniors in the 1500 that year, my coach sat me down and told me that I was too distracted. You know, I, I already came from a really intense culture and then of course I went to school in the NCAA and then went back and then went to Guelph. So um, I didn't see anything super different um, in the way that I was treated in any of the places I've ever been coached. So it's, it's complicated to say, but I will say that once, um, once I, uh, 
once I was really struggling and I was kind of cut off from the team for admitting my struggles, that's that would have been maybe uh, when I realized that Dave in particular was maybe a little bit toxic. And what do you mean cut off from the team? Uh, so I was kind of openly struggling with bulimia. I mean, Dave knew, but um, I was team captain and I was kind of recovering from a herniated disc in my back. And um, the year before I'd come second at at CIs in the 1500 and I was team captain so there was quite a bit of pressure on me um, to you know be able to perform at that level again the next year obviously and um, I was uh, extremely sick at the time and uh, you know Dave kind of knew my struggles but uh, he would send me like old videos of me um, you know performing really well uh, I guess as motivation but it was like extremely unhelpful and um, uh, in the end I couldn't really take the pressure anymore and I ended up uh, stepping off the track at um, the last meet I ever did the Toronto last chance meet and um, announcing to the entire team that I was bulimic and I couldn't do it anymore and um, I never heard from anyone from the coaching staff uh, after that reaching out to me seeing uh, how I was doing Right. Um, and was there, looking back now that you're a bit older and you're a few years removed, was there any perception of the support system there for you at that time? I mean, of course. Um, the one thing is that the team itself was such a strong support system. And um, it's always been that way. I think that maybe it's been misconstrued that, um, that the athletes themselves were extremely cutthroat, but... Um, Certainly, my time at Guelph and my time assistant coaching at Guelph, I could see on both the men and women's team the very real friendships they had and how they took it upon themselves to support each other. And, um, you know, they've always been a resilient bunch. And, um, like, everyone was able to lean on the team. So in your time in Guelph, because you were there twice as an athlete and then as a coach, mm -hmm. how aware were you of the story between Dave Scott Thomas and Megan Brown? So, um, you know, this was not something that was um, really in the conscious of like the athletes by the time uh, I got there, but there was still rumors floating around. And like from what I generally understood, Megan had been on the team and had some sort of um, mental health issue and um, she blamed Dave for it and had to leave the team because of that and you know I had actually known Megan um, a little bit uh, before I got to Guelph uh, we had been on um, a team together Canada Summer Games and um, back in 2005 and um, you know she was so nice and so sweet and and uh, so when I heard this about her when I got to Guelph, I just, I, 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 I just remember thinking like, ugh, like that's so sad. Like I hope she's like okay now. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's all I really remember. And do you think that was kind of a general understanding that athletes had in your time? That that was that the general understanding of that story? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, again, it's just not something that was really um, discussed at all. Like by the like, this is all kind of us looking back in retrospect, right? This was not like a topic of team conversation by the time we were in Guelph. Um, this is all of us kind of searching our memories, thinking of like what we've heard in hindsight. Mm. So it's so more, it's hard to say, right? So it's more so a wow I didn't realize the extent versus a oh my god I should have done something exactly is there a feeling of that at all um, for yourself in your time as an athlete specifically uh, is there a feeling at all of um, do you feel like you ha you should you could have done more is there something else you could have done that perhaps you didn't like in regards to Megan yeah uh, that I have to be honest that was I never once thought about that in my time as an athlete or even as a coach. Um, I that hit me like a ton of bricks on the when when it came out. Uh, I had a I I really didn't realize 
I have to say. Mm. Yeah, and it's just not something that we talked about mm -hmm. at all. And what about the culture? Um, because you were kind of a victim of that culture, that win-at-all-cost culture. Looking back as an athlete, is that something you think you could have had, you could have made a difference in? Um, I think it's really easy to look back and say, like, maybe I could have made a difference. But, um, you know, I'm a, when I try and put myself in the shoes of where I was um, as an athlete, you know, uh, and I think that most people who have run varsity can relate, your kind of thoughts are on your day-to-day, -day, like, you know, can I perform in this workout? What's the next race coming up? I have this test, I have this, I have that. Like, um, you know, I think that most, uh, or you know what, I won't say that, but me as my, me myself, you know, I was a self-centered student athlete who only really thought about my own experiences. And of course, like I had dear friends on the team and if something, you know, if they were upset at a workout or at something David said, like, you know, we were always there for them, but it was not something that you would think like, oh, like that was particularly bad. I should stand up and uh, report him for this because you're just thinking about, you know, you're, you're thinking that you're the one fucking up, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're thinking that you're the one in the wrong. Like I, I don't think there's ever been a time as an athlete, like looking back on it, where I've ever thought like, hey, like what this person did was wrong and I should stand up to it. You know, I think that uh, most uh, runners, um, and at least speaking for myself, are so hard on themselves that anything someone says to them, coach or otherwise, they're already thinking about. So it they're already thinking about themselves. So it only just like confirms that in them. So you're not really thinking like, hey, what this person said was wrong. You're kind of thinking like, oh, that, that confirms what I already think about myself. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and say, say the urge would have come to stand up, to speak up, to say something. Would it have been conceivable back then as an athlete to stand up to Dave and call something out that doesn't seem okay? Um, I don't think it would have occurred to anyone to do it, so it's so hard to say. Why not? Well, because I don't think anyone was ever in the mindset that Dave was really in the wrong. I think that everyone, if, if they couldn't perform at Dave's standard, I think that most people automatically assume they were the ones in the wrong. I don't think there was really that many people thinking that um, the environment was flawed. I think that unfortunately the nature is that un all of these young people are, are walking around thinking that they're the ones that are flawed. And uh, that's a really sad thing, but it's true. And where does that belief come from? That you yourself are flawed if the plan's not working for you? Well, I think that, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Now I'm thinking that maybe I can't speak for everyone. It's a very personal thing. But I think that, you know, when you have some kind of success as a runner and then all of a sudden maybe you're not having that kind of success or you're not fulfilling the potential that someone that, you look up to is telling that you telling you that you can fill. Um, I think that most people would put that on themselves. So the Globe and Mail article comes out on February eighth, and uh, I think it's pretty safe to say now that the first reaction, the initial reaction among Guelph alum, was shock. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps the second one being kind of relief that the the news was actually out there. And soon after, a lot of alum took to Facebook or Twitter, or the social media, even Tracky, um, to kind of share their views because they felt compelled and they felt like they were very close to the situation. And the conversation quickly shifted to uh, those alum being accused of being complicit in, in Dave Scott Thomas's tyranny, um, having contributed to some sort of, of culture of silence. Uh, Queen's head coach or, or former head coach uh, Steve Boyd 
um, was a proponent of the conversation and had some pretty strong views about it. It even suggested that that uh, Guelph should perhaps vacate the titles that they won under Coach Scott Thomas. Um, where do you stand there? Do you think it's fair to assume complicity in the athletes? Uh, no, I absolutely don't think it's fair to uh, assume complicity in the athletes. I think that, um, you know, I think that anybody who's been on, like, a varsity team and especially, um, you know, a, uh, a, a winning team with, like, a big legacy can understand how it feels to be um, part of that winning culture. And I think that for a lot of people looking back, it's more in retrospect, right? Because, you know, I've been there as an athlete and, uh, and I've been there, you know, when I was really suffering from, you know, a, a pretty serious uh, disease. And, you know, the whole time you're still, you know, you believe in the team, you believe in each other. There's a real, you know, like um, brother and sisterhood there where, um, you know, you want to do it not just for each other but for you know everyone who came before you and that legacy and there's a real beautiful thing there and um you know it's not you know nobody ever convinced someone to go to guelph thinking in the back of their minds that it was actually an evil bad place to go speaking for myself i had a pretty bad experience there and i willingly came back because i didn't really realize how bad my experience was until this all came out because you have such fond memories of the team and uh, all the parties and the winning together and those workouts. I mean, every single person I encouraged to go to Guelph, I did that with my whole heart thinking that, like believing that they should go there and thinking that it was the best place in Canada to go. Mm. Well, uh, Jenny, again, thanks a lot for coming here and uh, sharing your thoughts and um Hopefully, it's uh, more positivity from here for uh, the Guelph alum moving forward. Yeah, and for the whole running community going forward. And just, like, shout out to all the female coaches doing their best. I see you, and I love you. And, uh, yeah, let's make the sport better. Thanks a lot for listening. If you liked what you heard and would like to receive this podcast in your inbox, feel free to subscribe to The XC. That's The XC substack.com you can also follow us on social media our handle is at the xcorg we're on facebook twitter and instagram you can also subscribe to our sister newsletter the u which entertains matters of canadian university running but is becoming increasingly versatile you can find that one at usportsthexc.substack.com on the u i have a conversation with former queen's head coach steve boyd dating from last week. It touches on his decision to be vocal online regarding the Guelph allegations, his position in the conversation around athlete complicity, and ultimately, his firing. That podcast, and this one, and all the other ones we produce at the XC, are available on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and all podcast places. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.